everybody. Welcome to another episode of Dead and Mary, and I'm your host, Ashley. And I'm Travis. And we also have a special guest for us today, first time ever. This is our daughter, London. Say hi. hi. And today we're going to be talking about the 2013 film, Green Inferno, directed by Eli Roth. And this is our second Easter egg episode, going out to our very special listener. It's the third. No, this is our... Oh, it is our third. What the fuck? (laughs) Sorry, my mistake. This is our third Easter egg, and it's going out to my little sister and loyal listener and fellow horror aficionado. So I'm going to have to message Gory Bits. And see if he can find the uh, the Sesame Street episode with the count. The number One, two, of the three. day is three. And send it to you. Right. But um, this is, like I was just saying, this is a very special episode. This is your Easter egg goes to my little sister, Robin, who grew up with me watching these films. And this is one of her particular favorites. Now, I did have a little bit of trouble trying to figure out what film to pick for her in particular. Like I said, she and I grew up watching a lot of the same films. And so, but I do know that there are two in recent memory that have been her favorites. And one, and this may be controversial controversial for most of our listeners, but she is a huge, huge Rob Zombie fan, and she's also a huge Eli Roth fan. And I know that both of those directors have their lovers and their haters, but she happens to be a lover of both directors. So I was actually really torn between The Green Inferno that I know she loves to death, which so do I, either The Devil's Rejects or Three from, not Three from Hell, um, The Devil's Rejects or House of Thousand Corpses. So ultimately I decided on Green Inferno because I think recently because my sister is an EMT and her downtime at the station she loves to introduce this movie to people who are new to the horror genre which why you would lead with this movie in particular is beyond me but I don't feel like it's a safe introduction what do you think? I think that uh, I think that Eli Roth and Rob Zombie share a lot in common. I agree. They both like getting women naked for no reason. They both like gore for the sake of it. All about shock value for both of those guys. Well, I would say we definitely had kind of post 9-11 horror where it felt like the movies around that time were, I hate to say it, they felt a little bit more mean-spirited, I guess, in, in that time. You know, there was a lot of paranoia going around and that sort of thing. And so yeah, the movies of that era seemed a little bit more mean-spirited than the stuff that uh, us horror lovers kind of grew up with. I disagree with you. Okay, elaborate. So... I'm not a huge Eli Roth fan. Yeah, I know. Don't get me wrong. (laughs) I did like Eli Roth in Inglorious Bastards. (laughs) Of course, everyone loves the bear too. I think he did. I think he did a good job there. I I don't know, Uh but maybe I'm alone. He's he's a good actor, oddly enough. He's actually a pretty good actor, but no one else really agrees that this is a good movie. It's a five point three. Okay, but it does Cannibal Holocaust. (laughs) is rated higher than this movie. It does have its lovers, though. You have two of them sitting right here. I really like Green Inferno. Like, yeah. Do you remember... So I would just like to go ahead and point out that 67% of the people sitting in this room right now are wrong. (laughs) Do you remember, though, dude, when that trailer came out? I thought it was the coolest thing ever. They played Welcome to the Jungle. It was so fucking cool. And the end shot with that little girl carrying the leg off, we were like, I've got to fucking see this movie. She was like, look, Mom, look what I got. (laughs) I found a leg. Okay. That's that's not where I went when I saw that. I I saw that little girl running off with the leg, and I immediately went to Doctor Evil, going, "I got your hood! I got your hood!" <laughs> you would, you would do that. 
Well, that now that is actually a good movie. Just saying. oh come on. <laughs> but at any rate, London here is also uh, she's she's kind of my horror movie buddy. Like there are some because we've had Aiden on this show a couple of times. There are some that Aiden enjoys, but for all intents and purposes, he's not a huge horror guy. He's more science fiction, fantasy type of stuff. But London is like she's almost my ride or die horror movie buddy like well not just you we've watched plenty of creature features haven't we um we've watched about five (laughs) but you're also a lover of disaster movies too right i like disaster movies creature features and sometimes paranormal but it's mostly just people dying (laughs) (laughs) spoken like a true I'm not gonna lie, I really like seeing people die. I mean, it sounds weird, but it's just something about watching people, like, eh, you know. Okay, people are really concerned about our parenting of you now. (laughs) You shouldn't be concerned, I grew up right. (laughs) Now I'm thinking of Tom Petty lyrics. (laughs) Am I the only one? Except we're not in Indiana. And your name's not Mary Jane. That's not a good song, I can't associate that with you. Good grief. Anyway, you ready to get into this, honey? God, do we have to? (laughs) You're on the air, sled god. (laughs) So, what is that? Uh, Cool runnings, hello. So, I know, I know, I think two lines. (laughs) I had to think about that for a while. I'm one badass mutter, right? He's uh, the guy that called himself Yul Brenner. And then, you dead man? Those are those are the two <laughs> lines that I remember. From you were that movie. just supposed to end with "You're on the air, Slud God," and go into spoiler warning. Well, then you you didn't set me up for that. <laughs> I didn't I didn't know what you where you were going with that. It well, didn't then make once any again, sense. you're on the air, Slud God. Oh fuck! This is your obligatory spoiler warning. At Dead and Married, we talk about major plot points that might ruin films for the casual viewer. If you don't mind spoilers, join us now. All right, don't say we didn't warn you. So, Green Inferno, and these are some IMDb facts. Everybody knows how I feel about those. So, made in 2013, um, rated R. I really figured this would be can't imagine NR why. or unrated or NC-17 or something. I don't know. Uh, did I mention it's only a 5.3 out of 10? Yes. <laughs> feel free to rub that in my face every chance you get. Oh, don't worry. Hour and 40 minute runtime. It's about an hour and a half longer than it needs to be. <laughs> Says you. They could make a short film out of it and it would still work. So, uh, we've kind of already covered this. The director was Eli Roth. It was written, well, the screenplay anyway, and the story was written by Eli Roth and Guillermo Amoedo. I think I got that last name right. (laughs) I think you got it right. And it stars Lorenzo Izzo as Justine, Ariel Levy as Alejandro, Aaron Burns plays Jonah, Kirby Bliss Blanton plays Amy, Daryl Sabara is Lars. Now, that's the guy that was in Spy Kids. I was going to say, I'm surprised you didn't say Spy Kids. Don't worry. I will. <laughs> Magna Aponowicz plays Samantha. Sky Ferreira is Casey. Now, wasn't she a singer or something for like a minute? I don't know. No. I don't know. Saw her in, like in the movie and then there was an interview when we were watching some other stuff. And I don't know. Have I seen her before? Was she I popular seen for her. a minute? She, 
I feel like she was kind of one of those it girls for like a whole minute that people really wanted to make happen. Maybe that's Because it. she was also in a movie that I also really adore called Lords of Chaos. And so I feel like she was maybe the hot thing for a minute, but I haven't really seen her in anything since that. Okay. Uh, we've got Nicholas Martinez, who plays Daniel. Ignacia Alamand, who plays Kara. Ramon Lau is uh, the headhunter, and he plays a pretty big role. Richard Berge is Charles. Now, Richard Berge was Hostel in the first hostage. The second two. one. Second yes. one. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those all look alike. He to was me, the so he was the guy that was all gung ho in the beginning and then changed his mind at the last minute. Okay. Okay. And okay. Then there's a bunch of other people that are only <laughs> in it for like a whole minute. A bunch of other people. <laughs> yeah. It stars some other people. <laughs> So, but we've given you the main players anyway. So, well, the ones we're going to spend some time with anyway. So, I, I know that we've already given our spoiler warning, but I did talk to you beforehand about why don't we go ahead and talk about Eli Roth as a director? Because when we first broached this idea of talking about this movie, I did warn you that he's got his lovers and he's got his haters, much like this movie itself. So, where do you stand on Eli Roth? Damn, you're just coming right out with it. Oh, huh? yeah. We're just going to take the gloves off, is that it? Because I feel like it's... Uh, I think he's Rob Zombie with a better haircut. He's definitely better looking. He's Rob Zombie without a beard. He's... I don't know. So Rob Zombie gets the cinematography part. He gets really beautiful shots and all that stuff. I feel like Eli, Eli Roth has good shots, but better story. You know, I think his stories are typically better. I don't know. I... I feel like his early movies like Cabin Fever and stuff like that were just not exploitation films, but they were just, you. I don't know, maybe you could tell he was young mm-hmm. when he wrote them. Mm-hmm. They could have been better, basically. Um, I think he's had some good ideas. I would like to see what he can do as an adult now. And I don't mean that in a derogatory fashion. Like everybody grows within their industry. You know, the more they're in it, the better they get at their craft. Right. Hopefully Mm -hmm. they continue to improve at their craft. So I kind of would like to see what a more mature Eli Roth would do as a director with a more refined storyline, better cinematography. Because I would imagine that as a director, you get a better eye for those things as you go along. I can see that. So I think he's got a lot of potential. I wouldn't say that I dislike Eli Roth at all. Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe some of his stuff wasn't fully fleshed out. I think maybe a lot of his movies could have been better. Like I think Eli Roth, there was a good story there, but he got a little heavy handed with the gore on the back end of the movie. What? Says you. Well, you're not enough. You're talking to a gore hound here. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm, but I'm not. Yeah, I know. I'm not. I think Green Inferno clearly came later, you know, after mm-hmm. the hostile movies and all that there stuff. There was, let's see, I think there was like a six or seven year gap yeah. between Hostile 2 and Green Inferno. Yeah, well, he did a couple of movies as an actor mm-hmm. uh, in between. And you could tell that I think that there was some maturing probably that had gone on because the subject matter that he's tackling was a little bit more complex, mm-hmm. which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But I guess that's it. I think I think he's got a lot of potential. I don't think we've seen probably his, his best yet. Maybe that's it. I could agree with that. You know, yeah. we haven't seen we haven't seen the best Eli Roth that we couldn't get if he keeps going. Okay, London, what do you think about Eli Roth as a director? I, I realize that you don't have a full scope of his body of work just because there are certain films of his that I have not allowed you to see, uh, such as Knock Knock, for obvious reasons for Cabin anyone who's Fever. seen it. Um, well. I think I would be okay with showing you Cabin Fever just because I feel like everything that they talk about is nothing worse than you probably hear at school on a regular basis. And while there is some sexual content, that's nothing that I can't say, hey, turn your head and look away for a couple of seconds. Yeah, and Knock Knock is just Ted on the job. (laughs) Right. You. (laughs) 
<laughs> exactly. Um, but what do you think of him just so far with what you've seen? Because I believe you have seen both of the Hostile movies. And then as we've already... Three of them. Yeah. As we've mentioned, you Green Inferno is one of your favorites. So what do you think about him as a director? Um, I think I agree with Dad, as he does have like a lot of potential and we haven't seen it yet. But I think his work with those four movies are really good so far. Would okay. you say that probably his, his first movie is better than some other director's first movie? Because I'm thinking Cabin Fever was his first feature. She right? hasn't seen it, though, so mm-hmm. she really has no... Okay, but... I, I guess we're going to have to remedy that at yeah. some point. I think his first entry is better than some other director's first entry. So I think there's room for growth. Uh, that depend, depends if you're, on the... If you're talking director. about a Robert Eggers or an Ari Aster, I would say that that's not right at all. Because you look at he Ari Aster... He doesn't make the same kind of movies they make. I understand that, but he's still a horror director. But if you look at something that comes out first movie ever being hereditary, you're like, Jesus Christ, that's your first movie? Like, that's not even right. Yeah, but I don't really like that movie. I, I A lot of people did. I'm just saying. It was a very critically well-received film, whereas something like Cabin Fever, I would say at this point, is more like cult movie status. Yeah, I think it fell into the B-movie trap. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. The, I, it wasn't it, bad. But it but it being his first movie, it did show a lot of I promise. I mean, he, he clearly ripped off Evil Dead, but it still wasn't a bad movie. <laughs> Who hasn't ripped off on Evil Dead if it's a cabin in the woods? Exactly. If you've got kids going off in the woods, somebody's ripping off Sam Raimi. Exactly. That's just... And he's another great example. Sam Raimi, his first movie being Evil Dead. Evil fucking dead. Like, that's amazing. And I believe he was like 21, 23 years old when he made that movie. What was I doing with my life when I was that age? Not much. I wasn't making Evil Dead. Just kidding. (laughs) But I'm, I'm glad that you agree with me, London. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm not totally in disagreement. I feel totally vindicated now. But I actually, I thought about this for a while and I actually made some notes. So I think that I, along with London, we tend to be Eli Roth apologists, right? So I will say that one of the things I love about Eli Roth is, if nothing else, he is so dedicated to the genre. Like anybody that's watched his series, History of Horror on AMC, knows that the guy, or or, or seen interviews with him, he has a vast, extensive knowledge on the genre. And not just horror. He has a film lover's mentality. Um, He brings up really obscure movies. He's like, he's almost like another Tarantino, and I hate, you know, don't come at me for that but his knowledge is endless especially in horror so i love that you have a horror lover making horror movies i feel like that's important i will also say that as a human being he's funny he's smart he's engaging he sounds like Ryan Reynolds. He does sound a You'll little like Ryan You'll never be able Reynolds. to unhear that now that I've pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, if you close your eyes and listen to him talk, he sounds similar to Ryan Reynolds. They sound eerily similar. Yeah. However, however, I do have some faults with him. Um, a lot of people say that he only knows how to do bro horror, and I don't necessarily agree with that. Here's the thing, guys. Don't get upset with me, okay? But Eli Roth, Travis here, myself, we're all in the same kind of age group. And for everybody that says these people talk in a certain way, they act a certain way, come on. We all kind of did. Like, we have the character of Casey. Within the first 10 minutes of The Green Inferno, use some not kind slurs and phrasing. She's not politically correct. She's not. Let's just, let's just say that. Yes. 
And the thing is, as much as we want to be PC now and say, it's wrong to use those words, it's wrong to use those phrasing, everybody in our age group is guilty of it. But they've done it. But it's it's fine to learn and grow from your mistakes. Absolutely. There are words that she used that I don't use anymore, but I can acknowledge that there was a point in time when I was in my teens and early 20s that we talked that way. We just did. Now, again, we learn and we grow from these mistakes and we realize these things are wrong and we don't talk that way as adults and realize how offensive they are. But let's not pretend that it never happened. Everybody at some point talked like Steve fucking Stifler. We just did, guys. I'm I'm not I'm not gonna cancel you because you may have said the R word or the G word once in your life to describe something. Well, I would say that he he takes aim at that a lot, specifically when it's around surrounding social media, mm-hmm. and, and we'll kind of flesh that out. But I, you made a, a statement earlier that I disagree with. You said that you felt like a lot of the stuff was mean spirited. Maybe some of it was. I don't feel like this one was. Okay. This is where I'm going to defend Eli Roth. Can you turn your phone off, please? <laughs> that was not me. <laughs> that was Isabel getting a phone call. <laughs> right. This is where I'm going to defend Eli Roth. I think that these people were realistic. I agree. Because I think you have insensitive, abrasive assholes running mm-hmm. around out there. You I have agree. people that are just attention whores. Yes, I said it. Mm-hmm. Um, you have people out there that they just want a cause to stand on. They want to get their little soapbox. It doesn't matter whether they believe in it or not. They get on social media. They get on YouTube. And they find something to stand on so they can get their views and so they can get their likes. They They don't give a shit about the cause they're speaking on. They may not know a damn thing about it, Mm -hmm. but it's the popular thing to do. It'll get them their likes. It'll get them their little thumbs up. So they embrace it. And then they run around and condemn everyone who doesn't immediately retweet, who doesn't immediately like, who doesn't immediately agree. It's getting scary here, (laughs) y'all. With whatever little soapbox they're on at the time. And they're all fake. I and I think say he just called them out. Everybody is fake, but there are a good number that and are. I think there's it's probably all, more of them out there. We're living in the influencer generation. I think there's probably more of them out there that are fake than anyone would be comfortable knowing. Mm-hmm. But that's the reason I don't think it was mean-spirited. I think a lot of it's just real. He kind of called people out on their bullshit. And that may be the reason that people don't really care for Eli Roth. I didn't mean that I felt the film was mean-spirited in terms of the way people act necessarily. I felt like in the way that I mean mean-spirited is these movies were more brutal. Like they the good more, guy doesn't necessarily win at Yes, the end. they were more violent. They were I got more, you. Yeah, angry. They were angry movies. Yeah, but um, I feel like this one the way the characters are portrayed. And at some point, we're going to have to stop saying that we're going to talk about that later and actually talk about it. <laughs> I feel like the way they were portrayed was just more realistic. I, I And Seth, that's my point. And, I agree. God, Almighty, I'm about to get canceled. Are you ready? You ready for me to get canceled? I feel like the way the guys acted at the beginning of the first Hostel movie, pretty damn accurate for a bunch of single guys that are affluent, right? Uh-huh. They're well off. They probably haven't heard the word no a lot of times in their Mm -hmm. life. They're entitled Mm -hmm. and they're in Europe Mm -hmm. with a bunch of money. I feel like that was probably pretty accurate. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. They're assholes. Yeah. And nobody's nobody's defending these guys. No, no, no. By any means. I'm just saying that. But my point was... We knew guys like this. We knew guys that acted like 
Josh and Paxton and Ola. Oh, absolutely. I, I absolutely. personally knew guys like that. But I guess that's, even though I will tell you that I'm not necessarily the biggest Eli Roth fan when it comes to his movies, it's not, it's not because of the content. I think it's just because I feel like he hasn't refined his craft yet. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? So what I was going to say on my cons right. of Eli Roth is I feel like you have a movie like Cabin Fever come out that is, for the most part, pretty well received. Everybody's like, oh, who's this new guy or whatever. Suddenly everybody's going the new face of horror the new voice of horror you know this there's this young hip director coming out and he's scaring us to death or whatever and he's doing all these really cool violent things i think at some point eli roth believed his own hype and i think i mean honestly (laughs) i think he believed his own hype and i think he got maybe a little full of himself and i can see people's argument for that that he just got a little bit full of himself in his career Mm. I don't know that I think I mean you have somebody like Quentin Tarantino backing your movies well yeah and he hadn't been around very long when that happened so I could kind of see that I feel like that probably happened with Hostel but I think after he'd been out of it for six or seven years and he came back and made Green Inferno it was a little bit different I think my issue with him is that he kind of he already has sort of his own formula Mm -hmm. and I would like to see him break out of that because I think London would probably agree with me here because we're going to engage you in this podcast (laughs) to make you talk well, I was going to earlier. Did you have something to add on the subject? Yeah. Okay, well, go ahead. Let me ask go you. For it. Let me ask you this question real quick. Okay. I I believe that sometimes what you don't see can be scarier than what you do see. I'll I think that, that sometimes hearing someone screaming that's being harmed is scarier than seeing them being harmed. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Um. Well, I mean, it depends on like what they're screaming about because if they are like like oh no I'm getting hurt right you don't know how they're getting hurt and so hearing them scream and not knowing what's going on is scarier. Yeah, and I think like there's a segment in this movie where it's happening, and the first time I watched it, it kind of made me a little little queasy. I, I guess. Agree. Mm-hmm. I d- it does to this, most people. The second time around, I didn't care. The it's sound, still hard for me to watch. If we're talking about the on. same scene, it's still hard for me to watch. The sound of it was more bothersome than what I could see Agreed. on the screen. Mm-hmm. That's my point. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I would like to see uh, Roth fix or see him acknowledge. Mm-hmm. Sometimes what you don't see can be scarier than what you see on screen. Mm-hmm. I think he's come up with some really scary shit, but we don't need to see all of it. He's come up with some really good concepts. Sometimes. I mean, honestly. You just have to let your audience's imagination do its worst. That's my point. Sometimes, but... Speaking again for a couple of people sitting here, we are we are gorehounds. We do love it, but I understand what you mean because this film in particular, because I am a freak and I am damaged. I agree. I put this on to go to sleep the other night. <laughs> I know London's like, what the fuck? <laughs> Wait a minute, you're about to validate my point, so continue. No, listen, it's fine because I put it on at some girl's birthday party and they all fell asleep to it. Oh, those are not friends worth having, in my opinion. Mm, Just saying. (laughs) But um, no, I put this on to go to sleep the other night because I knew we were going to be covering it. And so I put it on to go to sleep and we get to the scene of Jonah's death. By that time, I had taken my glasses off and I'd rolled over, was trying to go to sleep. And I could hear the scene of him being massacred. And I knew what was going on without having to watch it. But thanks to the fucking brilliant sound design of that scene, I got queasy anyway. Like, I literally felt like I was going to vomit right there and But then. that's exactly my point. Mm-hmm. You didn't have to show the whole process. The problem with gore is that the longer you keep it on screen, the easier it is to see the zipper on the costume. To become desensitized. Does that make sense? The easier it is to pick it out and go, ah, yep, I see where the makeup line is. I can see that it's fake. 
To be fair, Greg Nicotero and Howard Berger did amazing fucking practical work I'm on this I'm not saying that they didn't. I'm just saying that you got freaked out without ever having to see what yes, was happening. Absolutely. I'm saying that I when he when it comes to me talking about Roth sort of refining a little bit, you could have shown the same sequence with just cutting away maybe like some quick cuts mm-hmm. of what was happening mm-hmm. instead of like really focusing in on the eyeball scoop. Like the quick cuts of what's happening, you still get the special effects, which I will applaud his use of practical effects. I don't <laughs> want to, I don't want to throw him that bone, but damn it. Well, I started to say K and B, but at this point, there's the K missing from the K and B. So, but the guy's dedicated to practical effects, and if he was here, I'd probably still give him a high five for that. <laughs> But my point is, he didn't have to show it all. He still could have given you blood. He still could have given you your guts. But he could have kept the sound effects, shown other things that were happening around at the same time. And it might have been even scarier. You're not convincing us of that. I'm no, sorry. No, like, I, I do agree with uh, Dad on that a little bit. Like, if I win. Were, <laughs> if they were to, like, cut it to where it's like, they show a little bit of what's happening. And then show the other people's reactions. And then have the screaming in the background. Uh-huh. It would create more of an atmosphere. Maybe. So I would, and this is just like kicking ideas out. Like if when they start to dismember Jonah, if you'd seen them like throwing wood in the oven, so you you know what's coming, even though you haven't right. seen it, mm-hmm. or like it did kind of show the other people looking on, but mm-hmm. I don't feel like their reactions were great. Like one of them gets sick, and the rest of them are just sitting there staring with mouth open, and I don't feel like that was great. But so I'm I agree with London. He could have shown quick cuts of the gore, and then how people are reacting and what's going on around it. It could he could have amplified that a little bit it so could have shown everyone's to, reaction to, to it. close yeah. this topic and move on to the actual film <laughs> which i'm sure we're 30 minutes in now and have not actually began you are exactly correct my my last con for him is that i feel as a filmmaker he's inconsistent um, you have some stuff that's really great. You have some stuff that's not so great. What the fuck is a house with a clock in its walls or whatever the fuck it's called anyway? <laughs> I don't know. But I just feel like as a filmmaker, he's tonally all over the place. So I will just admit something to you right now. I thought he did Cabin Fever, Hostel 1, Hostel 2, and The Green Inferno. And that was it. That's it. No, there's also House with Clock in its Walls and Knock Knock. Okay. Yeah, and I didn't even, I didn't know anything about. I feel this. like I heard something about the Meg, but don't quote me on that. Like um, I haven't researched but that enough. Those four movies, those four movies are what he's most known for. See, for me, those four movies are what cement him to me as one of my favorite filmmakers. Like I feel like yes, I've been a horror fan all my life, but I feel like when I was really coming into horror, he he was one of the influential directors. Of my time. You know what I mean? I agree. He he helped influence a whole genre of movies. I mean, Torture if you porn. think about it, it was him <laughs> and porn. Saw. Yeah. Hostel and Saw sort of kick-started the torture porn you genre. Had, yeah, you had Rob Zombie, Eli Roth, and James Wan all kind of come out within the same okay. era. <laughs> Hang on. You're not throwing Rob Zombie in there no, in the he, same category no, with those think guys. Think of the Devil's Rejects. There's, there's no, some I'm just saying that he's sure. not at that cat. He's not at that level. And I will say... <laughs> I, lo- I love the music. He's not there. He, he doesn't get to sit at the same table with those guys. I will say I'm just saying they all kind of came out around the same time. We keep cutting London off. <laughs> yeah. How rude. <laughs> we get say, passionate about oh this stuff. <laughs> I will say... What were you saying? <laughs> 
go ahead, London. Go okay. ahead, Pearl. As I do like the Green Inferno and all the torture scenes in there, I feel like um, probably the scene in Hostel 2 where that lady has that big scythe and she's like underneath that Scraping lady. on her back. Yeah, I feel like I really like that more than some of the scenes in Green Inferno. Uh, you're talking about the... Uh, the bathtub, the, the bathory. lady bleeding in her... Ba- bleeding. Bathing in her blood. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Was like it Lady Bathory? She was supposed to be like the female Dracula back in the day? Yeah. Yeah, yeah something like that. Yeah. I don't, I'm, I'm not nearly as versed on Hostel 2 as I am Hostel Oh, no, that's one. just history. Yeah. Well, whatever, brain. No, it was a lady. Watch the Discovery Channel, damn it. <laughs> No, thanks. I don't want to sleep right now. <laughs> it was a lady in, like, this sort of, like, pool thing. Like, it was down, like, underneath the ground, right? Yeah, I remember which one you're talking about. Yeah, yeah we, we know like, the scene. Well, not everyone does. If they're here listening, they probably do. Maybe. <laughs> you don't know. You're not grown. <laughs> but, like, she's, like, she's got this scythe, and she's, like, going at those ladies' back. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what really set me off for horror movies. I was like, hey, I really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. He's like, I want to see more of that. And then you just have like... And now all of our listeners are like, what the fuck kind of parents are you guys? <laughs> They're good parents. They're just showing me what can actually happen. Unless you're talking about like... <laughs> no, listen. It can't really happen. Listen. It depends on the kind of horror movies you're talking about. Because it could actually be cannibal tribes. But I mean, obviously, Freddy Krueger's not real. Right? Right. I don't know where you're going right now. <laughs> Me either. <laughs> I feel like you should bust out your GPS and get back to where we are. Well, no, I'm good. <laughs> it depends on the horror movie. That's all I'm going to say. Okay. So before you guys add us with uh, social services and whatnot, I just also want to point out that London's other favorite movies are Moana and The Breakfast Club. How did you know that one of my favorite, my, like, it's literally my favorite Disney movie is Moana. Well, because that's because you, you and I it. have watched Moana together. Moana. <laughs> And Lilo and Stitch. I like, like The Rock. Way, like, we way. we know that we look like we're raising Wednesday Adams right now, but believe me, she's so much more well-rounded okay, than that. <laughs> but you know what? Dad can't really do that either because I showed him that rock song that says it's about drive, it's about power, and it didn't make him like him any less. It made him like him more. I have no idea what you're talking about. I don't know about. what you're talking about now. I showed you the music video that The Rock made about <laughs> the gym. <laughs> I just like to pretend that that music video never happened. What, what music video? When The Rock thought he was going to be a rapper yes oh when did that happen i'm, I'm not familiar with what you, you're talking about see right you now. are you are living in a dream buddy <laughs> see like i was like here dad you know what maybe it might like you the rock the like less less <laughs> i can't talk so i here's the thing is that it's not just horror movies that can do that to a kid i will tell you that when i was young back in 1947 <laughs> 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 no, but my parents actually took me to watch two movies that scared the shit out of me. Um, Jaws. Mm-hmm. And we went to see them at the drive-in because like... Jaws is considered a horror movie. Like it go is. in, sit down, theaters weren't so much a thing back then. Mm-hmm. But we went and watched Jaws at the drive-in. I probably still don't like swimming in the ocean because of that movie. Um, when you see a shark that's already huge and it's on a screen 20 feet tall, it has an effect. And that, I don't know if you qualify as a horror movie or not, but that and Indiana Jones and the Temple oh, of Doom. Oh God, I think really? that movie fucked everyone up. It didn't, it didn't mess That with is me. not. How could it not? Jesus. That does Maybe not. Maybe it's because I've never seen it. <laughs> Well, then that's just bad parenting on it, our it's part. It's not categorized See, as a horror movie. If you're not going to call CPS on them for showing me a bunch of horror movies, hey, let's stop bringing CPS that up. Let's just stop talking about that. Let's stop putting <laughs> ideas in people's heads. <laughs> but I would I, seriously, I watched that dude get his heart ripped out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. On a 20 foot tall screen at the drive-in and slept on my stomach for like two and a half years. 
See, for me, it because wasn't... Because you're sleeping on your stomach, he can't rip your heart out. <laughs> it wasn't the Kamina scene. For me, it was the the scene where they're sitting down to eat all oh, the... monkey the, brains? The monkey brains. Fuck, man, Squirrel they gravy? got me. Yeah. So, before everybody gets all judgy, I will tell you that Indiana Jones has had some equally gross shit in his movies, and that is not considered to be a horror movie. Or uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. The, the face-melting scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe absolutely. it's maybe that one doesn't count because they were killing Nazis. <laughs> And talk to bring up Eli Roth again. Anyway, I'm glad you could bring that topic up and make it weird. Good job. <laughs> no, I just, I just, you know, if you're all here, most of us lovers of horror, we started at a very young age, and me being a horror lover, you know, and of course, I brought the kids up with safe stuff first, you know, like arach- child's play, arachnophobia, child's play, leprechaun, that type of thing, and then as they've gotten into their teenage years, not little years. As they've gotten into teenage years, they've kind of advanced along, you know, and wanted more stuff. And uh, London was very interested in this particular film we're talking about. So I said, okay, I think you can handle it. You know, minus turn your head for the tarantula scene, obviously. You know what, though? (laughs) Having watched Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox, I would say that this movie is still tamer than both of them. I would completely agree with that. And by the way, London has not seen Cannibal Holocaust or Ferox. um, I I think. I think it makes you For suspicious that you feel like you need to justify your actions right now. I think we should just move on. <laughs> for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, we've been saying it for the last 20 minutes or so. <laughs> Let's finally fucking open this film, shall please, we? Please, <laughs> please. So we open with uh, a scene in the Peruvian forest, rainforest, of a child and an elder tribesman walking through the woods and it, it looks like kind of one of those things where you think the elders taking the kid out to maybe learn something or whatever but then we see these bulldozers encroach upon their land that's our cold open now our proper opening is with our main character justine played by the absolutely stunning lorenza so I, izzo yeah i just want to agree with you that she is <laughs> No, but I just want to point out that they set up the native tribes people to be sympathetic at the very beginning of the movie. Agree. Mm -hmm. They set them up as sympathetic characters. I will tell you that I I misinterpreted this film, and at the end I will tell you why I think at the end they're still sort of sympathetic characters. I 100% agree that they're sympathetic. I mean, they have to eat some way. No, there's more to it than that. Yeah, there's way more to it. Let's move on. So, again, we open with Justine, and she's being awakened in her dorm room by some pro testers out in the front lawn of the campus and she you know her her oh my god this character annoyed the fuck out of me her dorm mate whatever you call it best friend casey is annoyed by the protesting is like oh they deserve to die or whatever so we already brought this up but the actress sky fiera she's to me one of the weak links in the bunch because i feel like her line delivery and maybe it could be the script maybe she's better than this but at least with the script the way it was written her line delivery is awful but she's basically pissed off because she got awoken at 9 (laughs) a.m yeah she woke up and she was like oh hi mark (laughs) okay listen at some point we have got to do a review of the room (laughs) i understand it's not i did not teach her i did not (laughs) yes everyone loves that movie I still have not seen it. I think that's debatable. Um, and I, I usually make it a point in this podcast not to, to crap on people's acting because I don't know how hard acting is. Yeah. She's really bad. Yeah. 
And I'll move on. So we kind of we kind of see that Justine is kind of enthralled, I guess we'll say, by intrigued, maybe intrigued by the character of Alejandro, played by Ariel Levy. I don't. I, I hope I'm not butchering that. Um, he's the leader of this protest group. At this moment in time, they are protesting to get health insurance for the janitors of the college. And afterwards, we see the girls. And I think they're on a hunger strike or some shit. But we see the girls going to Zabar's, which I guess is exclusive to New York because I've never heard of it before. But I understand that it's been brought up in more than one thing. I have no idea. Um, but and- before you continue, I want to point out that Cannibal Holocaust also begins in, in New, New York. York. I did. That was not lost on me, to be honest. I actually have that in my notes. I didn't know if that was a direct nod that Holocaust and Ferox both take place partially in New York and the it Amazon. It was. This is supposed to be... I know I, I kind of poked fun at it earlier with the Evil Dead thing and, and uh, Cabin Fever, but Cabin Fever is supposed to be sort of a love story to Evil Dead. This is sort of a, a love story for Cannibal Holocaust. And Cannibal Ferox. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think that he's ripping off either of those films. Um, They're not good enough for me to care if he was or not. <laughs> there, I feel like he pays just the right homage to those films because there are elements from both films in this film. At any rate, basically the character of Casey is just bitching about how these people are annoying. They're getting on her nerves. She's kind of saying what we're all as an audience thinking that they're a bunch of posers. They don't really believe in this cause. They're Take a ch- shower, you damn hippie yeah (laughs) they just want to be seen protesting for this cause basically and you find that out later in the movie that they didn't actually care well i think that's debatable i think they cared on some level some of them did and then one of them didn't but i think they were going about it the wrong way they were all incredibly naive at any rate moving on so the next thing we cut to is these two girls sitting in class and i'm not sure what this class is anthropology or something Um, Uh, Probably. Something Um, like that. And they're discussing FGM or female genital uh, mutilation in various cultures across the world. Now, this is something that I too have struggled listening to. It's it's some heavy subject matter. Um, I'm not going to say, it's not for me to say whether or not this is right or wrong. This is just things that take place across our, you know, across various cultures. And I believe they brought up multiple countries other than Africa that practices. I think they said the Muslims do it. Um, I can't remember what the other one was. The professor rattled off six or seven different groups yeah. that participate in that. But Justine goes off saying, like, what can we do to stop this? Because this is wrong. And she just so happens to casually bring up that my father is a lawyer for the UN. And couldn't we do something to stop this? And the teacher says, unfortunately, you'd need a shit ton of lawyers because it's not only going on in this one country. Yeah. And and I don't know if Eli Roth was intending to specifically call out. I believe that the FGM is is wrong. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'm not advocating for that. But what I will say is that if you, if, if we as Americans look on a cultural practice of another people, and then we think that we're just going to go in and tell them that you have to stop doing this right now, it never goes well. Mm Mm-hmm. Because the people that were saying, you can't do this anymore, feel like we're trying to take something away from them. Because they've grown up around it. I mean, it's normal for them. And it's 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 almost Stockholm Syndrome, mm-hmm. right? 
side. Like even even the people who have been subject to some of these terrible things, not just FGM, but they're like, why are you, who are you to come over here and tell us that what we're doing is wrong? Right. Mm-hmm. Go back to McDonald's. <laughs> and Starbucks. You fat American, <laughs> have a coffee and keep Mind your, your nose out of our business. Exactly. Keep my wife's but, name. But here. <laughs> oh, London. <laughs> Don't, 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 don't. Yeah, don't Rock. <laughs> don't do it. Anyway. But you know what I mean? And I think he's kind of calling that out that you've got, here, here you go, you've got a privileged American girl who feels like she needs to take up arms to change something in someone else's culture mm-hmm. without asking whether or not they want it changed. I, I feel like there's a, a big theme here of white privilege, for sure. Right. We they We should change that because we don't like it. It's wrong, so it has we to be We get different. indignant about it, so they mm-hmm. shouldn't do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So since she has brought up that her dad is a lawyer for the UN, this piques the character of Jonah's interest, and he immediately starts texting on his phone. And that is one thing that I will say I did have a problem with this film. Is Snitches I feel like, get stitches. I feel like a lot of the story is telegraphed. I feel like you see a lot of stuff coming before it actually happens. All of the story is telegraphed. But anyway, Jonah kind of of inserts himself into her life at that point and wants to invite her to their group. And he, at the same time, he's absolutely smitten with her and obviously he would be. But he invites her to this group and is like, look, we we talk about the issues, we eat, you know, it's, it's fun, you should come join. And Justine's kind of like on, you know that she's interested, obviously. She's obviously kind of semi-interested in Alejandro, but she's still sort of playing coy. She's acting like she's on the fence like I don't know it's not really my thing I'll think about it and then he delivers of course one of the cringiest lines in the film don't think act yeah I don't remember what the acronym is don't for their think, uh, so act is the is the name of their group yes. and it's an acronym for some stupid preppy bullshit so <laughs> So we cut next to her having dinner with her father. And basically, she's asking, what can we do? This, you know, this kind of stuff has to be stopped. And he actually says a line that kind of cracked me up a little bit. He says, we can't just invade countries because they do something illegal or immoral anymore. And my first thought to that was, don't we still do that? No, we do not. (laughs) feels like we do. Well, (laughs) because her next statement is, well, we can when there's oil involved. Right. And I feel like that's accurate. That is completely accurate. We will take up arms against an injustice if there is a financial gain or loss for us. Whenever there's something we need, we take it. If there is no financial gain or loss for us, then we just let it happen. We're sorry for all of our Republican listeners who are offended. Well, here's the deal. I I still... (laughs) I still identify as conservative, but I'll be the first one to tell you that sometimes we just need to mind our own damn business. I agree. It's not always our place to insert ourselves We need to clean up our yard before we worry about cleaning up everybody else's. Exactly. So exactly. let's move on. But we're not political. a political show. So yes, we're going to move on. But also in this conversation, we find out that at some point, Justine was an accomplished flautist. And she has this That necklace. does not mean that she made flautas. Although flautas are delicious. <laughs> They are delicious. <laughs> it means she played the flute. For those I of you who did flautas, not know. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but flautas with some guacamole and some sour cream. God damn. And some pico. Now I'm hungry. Anyway. We literally nobody. Just ate. Literally nobody that serves us is open right now. <laughs> 
So apparently tomorrow, tomorrow's gonna happen. <laughs> stop, stop. Okay. So apparently she has this special necklace that is was melted down from her grandmother's silver in in made into a flute. And I gotta her- ask, what does she have? Like one fork? <laughs> They melted down her one fork and made this tiny little... If you're wanting to keep this particular episode in an hour, we are so fucked right now. Hey, yeah, because we're already at an hour because you (laughs) talked too much at the beginning. Um, Her father, for some reason, makes this huge deal about this necklace that she's not wearing. And she tells him, of course, it's in my door room. It's safe. And he goes on about, well, you know, your grandmother made this down from her silver or whatever. And then he proceeds to go on about how she was really good at the flute and she's wasting her talent. It None of it's important except to set up this flute necklace at the end of the day. Let's be honest. Yeah. Because it had no importance but at any point in the movie except for right there and then at the end. <laughs> the part that I loved is you had this really tight shot of her and her father talking about this necklace and her future. But then all of a sudden we get this wide shot and we see that Casey has been sitting there this whole time. And she looks over at the dad and she's like, hey, are you going to eat that cheese, Brad? <laughs> That's exactly the question I would ask. Sounds that, like something Aiden or Dad would say. No, I was I was sitting there thinking that's what I would do. I'm that friend. It's like, are you going to eat that? If they're if they're deep in that conversation, I don't know that I would even ask. I think I would just take it and eat it and see if anyone else noticed. I mean, you mean like you already do with our food? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> So then next we cut to a a meeting of ACT and they're basically talking about their next big thing that they're going to do. And Alejandro is asking, have you ever had dreams of saving a dying tribe? No one has that dream. Literally no one except for activisms. No one has the noodle dream. (laughs) Hold on. No one has the noodle dream. Activists. Activists. I'm thinking of a different thing. So basically, they're talking about how this particular tribe, and I'm probably going to butcher the name Yahas. I feel That's like this. close. Yeah. Um, how they're they're going through de- deforestation. And we did see that, of course, at the beginning of the film. And Justine, who has been kind of sitting there idly, she speaks up and she makes a sarcastic comment about what are you going to do, do a hunger strike? And this, of course, pisses off Alejandro and he tells her to leave. I don't think it did. No, he's going to get his pocket I talks. think that, what's his butt? Uh, the guy that was in love with her. Jonah. I think Jonah told Alejandro that her dad was a lawyer for the UN. Oh, absolutely. That's what he was And this was about. all bait. She was a privileged young woman, and Alejandro knew that if he told her no, if he told her she couldn't have something, she was going to want it a hundred times more. And that's exactly what happened. Personally, I think Alejandra knew who she was before Jonah even Oh, absolutely. It. Because but when you catch glimpses of the protest, he was looking at her like he knew who she was already. This is something that I have wrong with this plot. Okay. Okay. Alejandro baited all these privileged kids into going to the Amazon to chain themselves to bulldozers and maybe to get save shot. the Amazon by doing a hunger strike for janitor insurance. And I'm not saying that insurance for janitors is not important. It absolutely is. But there's a big damn jump between health care for janitors and chaining yourself to a bulldozer. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that's too much. Yeah. I feel like they should have initially started with a larger issue or moved from healthcare to a somewhat smaller issue. Yeah. So, but at any rate, Alejandro gets all pissed off and he's like, you must be a freshman because only a freshman would act so insolent and kicks her out. Of course, Jonah's like, but I like her. So he goes after her and he tries to stop her and she's like, fuck Jonah, off. Jonah's just pathetic. He is desperate to impress Alejandro and stay in his good graces and he's desperate to get in her pants. <laughs> he's shameless. 
empathetic. <laughs> what does Lars tell him? You're such a fat guy in love. <laughs> yeah. Coming from a spy kid, I don't know that I would take that as an insult. <laughs> but the next day, uh, Justine ends up meeting up with Alejandro. And she's basically pleading her case on why she is ready for this cause and why she deserves to be led into this group. And he tells, he, you know, he asks her, what's a cause that you're, what keeps you up at night? And she says, FGM, of course. And he says, basically what you have to do is you have to go to these people. You have to put cameras on them. You have to go to social media and you basically have to shame them into changing their behavior, which I find the idea of completely ridiculous. I do. Because the only thing that came to my mind was the old lady ringing the bell behind Cersei and came with the road saying, shame, shame, shame. That was the first thing that came to my mind. I, I don't know who, I, I don't buy that argument that you're going to shame them into doing this. Because yeah, I'm, I'm sure that there are some organizations that if you put them on the internet, they're going to get all bent out of shape about it. And they're like, oh, we better stop doing what we're doing. Some of them are going to be head you and put it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So there's a fine line there. Like you're taking a big gamble um, betting that the group that you're trying to shame into doing what you want them to do is not just going to say, screw you, buddy. We're going to do what we want to do anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you putting us on YouTube just makes people more afraid of us. So thanks for the free PR. Yeah. Alejandro's a moron. See, but if they posted online, like they were live streaming it, there might have been like someone like really important, like watching it be like, hey, we got to go shut that down. They killed a bunch of people. Yeah, but you're talking, but it doesn't matter. I mean, if you're talking about a sovereign nation, I mean, it's not, I don't know. I don't want to get know. political about this. We are not the world police. No, we're not. That's that's always been my It argument. is not our job to solve the world's problems. No, it's not. Especially when we can't seem to solve our own. We need to take care of the issues that are home first has always been my opinion. But we're not. I agree. However. But moving on to the movie. Again, I feel like it, there's things all around here, especially with this next scene about these guys just being a bunch of posers. Because you end up next, they're having this meeting, basically talking about their plan, what they're going to do once they get to this Peruvian jungle. And they're in this coffee bar, They're in a I guess. bougie restaurant. Yeah. With this big giant photo of Che Guevara and mutilated baby dolls. <laughs> Like, it feels like a hipster place. Yeah, you know how tough I am? I ripped the head right off that Barbie doll. (laughs) And then all of its hair off. We've kind of gotten this little sprinkling (laughs) at this point (laughs) of the character of uh, Kara, who for some reason or whatever is completely threatened by Justine. And it basically, anytime she sees Justine looking at Alejandro, breathing his air, basically inhabiting his square footage, she gives him this look like, keep away from my man, you dusty ass bitch. <laughs> and that goes on for a while. And it, I'm sorry, it's so fucking annoying. It really is. And to me, that actually took me out of the story a little bit because it's so juvenile. Yeah. Here's the deal. The people really act like that, though. Oh, I know. I know. Including myself. I'm not you, kidding. You kind of act like I'm that. I'm kidding. No one do that towards Kent because he thinks dad's voice is sexy. That's true. We oh, love thanks you, for though, throwing Kent. that out there. Appreciate that, London. You're welcome. So now you are the new bus driver. Yes. <laughs> Basically, they're, they're just going on about what they're going to do. And then the next thing we go to is Justine's going. She's going on this trip now. She's on her phone with her dad. The dad's like, let me call my buddies over this country or this organization. Well, she he wants her to reach out to the Peruvian embassy. Yes. Yeah. And Why don't you call my buddy? Yeah. And she's like, dad, it's not Damn a big bros. deal. I'm, and the thing that cracks me up, I'm not even going anywhere dangerous. Like, 
listen, I'm like the, the least xenophobic person. I, I will go wherever, whenever, with whoever. I don't care. But at the same time, I don't feel like you need to be that naive when leaving home. You always have to be aware of your surroundings. Hell, I'm fucking aware of my surroundings when I leave the state. So I will tell you, because I have I have left the States and I have gone to Central America. There are a lot of things we take for granted here. Agree. Your own personal safety is one of the things that you take for granted here. Police responding when you call 911 is something that you take for granted here. It's just, if you've never been down there, you're just going to have to take my word for it. This little girl had no idea where she was going or what she was getting herself into. And I think that's a lot of these... I really feel like Eli Roth kind of pokes at that in both hostile movies and this. Uh-huh. You've got these privileged American kids mm-hmm. that don't have the first damn clue of what they're getting themselves into. Right. They think that the whole world is America. Mm-hmm. And they can do whatever they and want. And it's not. So I want to apologize to our listeners. We've already gotten a little long in the tooth. And that's because we've had a lot of subject matter to cover on this. Not just the film, but the director himself. But as it is, I'm going to maybe casually gloss over some of the finer points. I'm going to need Red Bull for this edit. <laughs> A lot of it. So, needless to say, Justine says her goodbyes. We get ready to go to Peru. Um, Now, uh, skipping ahead of a lot of things, they board their plane. And we see that this character of Carlos, who is basically bankrolling this entire uh, trip, he and Alejandro are kind of whispering amongst themselves. It seemed like they may be in cahoots. Yeah, they're having some girl talk. To to what end? We're not entirely sure at this point. But Justine is already suspicious because Carlos is young. He's got a lot of money. And she just thinks that that comes across as kind of strange. Once they get to where they're going, they they board these rickshaw type of things, um, which are named funny things like Brad Pitt, Madonna, which Madonna's misspelled. So I read somewhere that he put... Brad Pitt on the back of one of those. I don't think. I don't. Is that really a rickshaw? I, I'm thinking I'm, that a rickshaw hat was the bicycle on front, not a motorcycle. Yeah, but possibly, it really doesn't matter. Yeah. He put Brad Pitt on it because of Inglorious Bastards. You think? And they misspelled Madonna on the back <laughs> yeah. of the other one. But anyway, um, the character of Lars, played by Daniel Sabera, Spy Kids kid. Um, see, and you always get on to me for doing that. <laughs> he uh, every time I say Third Rock Kid, you're like, see, oh, I don't, even, don't do that. When I think of Daniel Sabera, I Spy Kids actually doesn't come to mind for me. Rob Zombie's Halloween comes to mind for me. He Nothing comes to mind for me at all. <laughs> He was in Rob Zombie's Halloween? Yeah, he was the guy that was bullying Michael Myers in the women's restroom with the ad with his mom. The, the, the kid that Michael Myers beats to death with the big branch. That in sounds interesting. That I was should him? watch that. Yeah, that was him. Okay. <laughs> anyway, um, so he plays the character of Lars and he asks Carlo if he's got a hookup for weed. And that's, it doesn't seem important right now, but it is a setup for something later. Then we get to the point where, as much as I hate it, this is one of my nitpicks for the movie is that they do have archetypes. Uh, They have stereotypical characters, like, again, Daniel Sabara, Lars being set up as the stoner character. They have another character of Samantha who's set up as the lesbian character. And I felt like that wasn't necessarily needed because they had, like, a a thing about her, oh, well, I have all the freshman girls' pics in my phone. Like, come on. That felt like a guy thing. Well, I think, to me, it seemed like they set up those archetypes for no reason. Archetypes? Right? What? Did you say archetypes instead of archetypes? Yeah, fuck it. 
<laughs> they set them up, but there was no payoff. Really. Exactly. There exactly. was no reason to set those up. They set her up as being a, being gay and having lots of tattoos. So I, I don't know if this was a thing that he was trying to set her up as a more butchy type of lesbian or something. I, I don't care. I don't feel like that. That shouldn't be her entire identity. But for some reason, I felt like they were trying to make that obvious. It almost felt like he he just needed to put labels on the characters. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because it doesn't serve any purpose. Who cares any if she's gay? Movie. That doesn't define who she is as a human being. Well, and it never matters in the movie. Yeah, like they they kind of set up a thing with her and is it Samantha? Amy. They set up maybe a small inkling of a relationship between her and Amy, but it, uh, again, ultimately, it never pays off. Apart from our main characters, a bitch of mine is that some of these characters were pretty paper thin, you know, personality wise. Yeah, they probably could have gone with a slightly smaller cast and developed the characters a little bit better, mm-hmm. and still been okay. We don't need to throw Spy Kid in there and be like, oh, he's the stoner and. Throw exactly. this other girl in here and go, well, she's a lesbian. They're just people. They could have left that out completely and, and the story wouldn't have changed at all. Or they could have just mentioned it casually. It didn't have to be a whole, you know, thing, right. like making it obvious or whatever. But at any rate, this is the point where Alejandro says, oh, and by the way, you guys could be killed out here. So... And then he proceeds to make them feel bad. Like, oh, if anybody wants to back out, now is the time to do it. Yeah, and he waited till they were in Peru to throw that out there. Yeah. This was 100% manipulation on his part. But after this, they go through the village. They board their boats. They find out once they're on these boats, while uh, Alejandro is playing Captain Jack Sparrow at the, at the bow or whatever of the boat. Well, he's Captain Morgan at the front of the boat. <laughs> the most interesting man in the world. Um, but they That's find out... That's not Captain Morgan. <laughs> No. That's Dosakis. Yes, it is. God damn it. Um, you just leave the liquor and the beer to me. <laughs> but they set up that they have no cell signal there, of course. But the character of Daniel has a GPS phone. And so that's obviously a thing that gets set up. And during this trip, um, Justine and Lars need to go to the bathroom. So they make a bathroom stop. And it's kind of a funny thing. I, I feel like this was the thing that wasn't necessarily necessary they have this graphic nudity with Lars having to take a leak and it shows full frontal and he has a tarantula crawl like basically right by his dick and he freaks out and I guess this is to set up that maybe Justine is a little bit more tougher of a character because he tries to send or one of the guys tries to send Lars with a machete and he's like oh what am I gonna do with that and Justine's like fuck it I'll take the machete yeah she just grabs it and goes yeah and so you kind of London you would just grab it and go wouldn't you you? would actually you would have wanted the pistol Mm, and then go yeah no I wouldn't question it I would have that'd be something I grabbed right off the boat and just leave yeah so give me that gun i gotta go give me that gun i want it But Lars ends up, he says that almost got my bit, dick bit off by a tarantula. We don't really see that. I think he was just, you know, freaking out. I think out. he was being dramatic. Yeah, exactly. But, but then did I you see the way you. he carried that pistol? He had <laughs> like, no clue. He's a spy kid. What does he know? <laughs> like a girl with a little I, purse. <laughs> I'm with London. Spy kids didn't need guns. But I agree with 
you, Ash, that you could have cut that whole thing out. Yeah, it just it wasn't necessary. It would not have changed anything. And then after the bathroom break, they're going along the river and they happen upon a black jaguar on the rocks, which it took me a couple of times to even, before I even noticed that I there didn't was a see jaguar. it on the long shot. Yeah, exactly. Because um, I was like, what the fuck? Like, what are they all looking at? And then when it's made obvious it's a black jaguar, Alejandro says that it's a good omen, which I also didn't understand fully. You know what? Every time a roadrunner crosses the road in front of us when we're driving somewhere you're like well, you know what you know what shut it's up a <laughs> that is that is a thing i got from my mom that she says if you see a roadrunner twice it's not one time if you see a roadrunner twice it's supposed to be good luck I don't, I don't know where that came from, how true it is, but to this day, I don't feel like I'm going to have good luck unless I see a second roadrunner. See, but this is also the woman that was raised by another woman that said if you rubbed a hard-boiled egg on your head, your headache would go away. It's not a hard-boiled egg. It's just an egg. Just and an you egg? Rub it, you rub it all Are over you your body. Are you just a dude dressed as another dude playing another dude? <laughs> No, Mom. no, my granny does this thing where if you're sick, she will take an egg and she'll rub it all over your body and it feels amazing to have a cold egg rubbed over your body, by the way. And then she will crack the egg over some blessed water and then she'll put a cross on top of that water and pray over it. So this is highly embarrassing. But I feel like we just lost some listeners. You have some insight into my childhood, so. Well, listen, we love her. <laughs> We love my granny She's so much. The best. So we get to the place where, you know, everybody starts to change their clothes and they've got these special Save Amazon t-shirts. So I don't understand something. Okay. They were at their bougie restaurant, right? Where Carlos was clearly taking care of the bill. And then everything was pretty low-key until they had to run to the boats. Oh, yeah. But that didn't make sense to me. over that just because we're getting a little long in the tooth here. When have you ever cared about how long this <laughs> That's true. But it's like... We're doing was, this upright for my sister. It was intensity for no reason. And that's the issue mm-hmm. I had with that. Right. Like, we're going to run just because we can run. You didn't have to run to the boats at all. You could have just walked there. Yeah, I guess I didn't understand that. But at it, the same time... It's not like Home Alone where they were late for their flight. We slept in! Anyway. And forgot Kevin! But... But they want to blend in with, (laughs) god damn it, guys, (laughs) but they want to blend in with their developed counterparts. So they put on the same bright yellow jumpsuits that their developmental counterparts, (laughs) developer counterparts. They want to be able to blend in with the other construction workers. They're still developers. But they're white. Very white. They're not white. What? No. God damn it, London. No, listen. Not the construction workers. Like, most of the people in their activism. Yes, but we're talking about the... Spanish the developers. developer guys. No, no, the clear cutters. Well, the bad guys for all intents and purposes. Right, exactly. So they want to blend in with those guys. So they put on the same yellow jumpsuits that those guys are, are um, wearing. And they're told that they they cannot take anything with them except for their passports in case they get arrested. They're not allowed to take backpacks, anything. And they do go through the jungle till they find they catch up with these guys finally. And then they start to, to put on all these masks because not one person stands out. They're all all one entity. We stand together. <laughs> and they start to chain themselves to trees. And, and the Kara bulldozers. gives, we find out that Kara gives, Kara, sorry. We find out that Kara gives Justine a faulty chain. Um, it was a faulty lock. The chain Sorry, yes, exactly yes, faulty lock. Advertised. I'm sorry, my mistake. And then they set off an explosion and immediately start filming with their camera phones. Camera and they be- phones? Yes. Their phone cameras? No, camera phones. No, it's a 
camera phone. <laughs> I have never heard of a camera phone. And they begin chanting and filming and they start, like, we have we have one of the main guys, I guess the main guy of the development crew, who goes over to Justine and he immediately shoots her phone with his, with his gun. And then Alejandro makes it known they're about to murder a girl whose father works for the UN. And the thing is, she never told him that. No, Jonah told him that. Right. Or he already knew that. And he so. tells everybody, don't stop filming. Don't stop filming no matter what. Right. Um, and uh, what's her face? The the jealous girlfriend is like, go ahead, Cara. shoot her. Yeah, Cara's like, shoot her, shoot her. In which case... We don't care. Yeah, Justine's like, fuck you, bitch, or whatever. Because we find out from this point on that this has been an elaborate setup on their part. Once the developers find out what's going on, they let them go. They're they're arrested, but they are let go. This was apparently a successful protest because the next thing we see is that Carlos, at some point, bribed the member of this militia. Well, you've got like the the hired security mm-hmm. that was all dressed in black at the uh, at the work site, and then when they're all getting put back on the airplane, these guys are dressed in fatigues, mm-hmm. so they're. Maybe legitimate military? I don't know. But either way, it, it uh, seemed like Carlos, it was some militia. Carlos group. hands the guy in charge like a big fat Huge wad, fucking wad yeah. of money that I would gladly accept from anyone <laughs> if you're willing to send like a Please. three inch diameter roll of bills. I will, we also will, I will take it. gladly accept snacks and Red Bull. <laughs> Because it said it's going to take fucking forever. Anyway, so the next thing we see is that they're celebrating a successful protest on the plane. Justine is obviously pissed off because she had a gun pointed at her head. So that would piss off anybody. She doesn't want to talk to anyone. Alejandro. No, not Alejandro. Jonah. Jonah. She doesn't want to talk to Jonah anymore. She's basically telling him fuck off. I I personally found the character of Jonah annoying. He kind of had this thing where he obviously had the hots for her. I didn't really find him sympathetic like a lot of people do. No, everything that he did, he did for himself. Yes. He was not a selfless Joan of Arc type of character. Yeah. He wanted two things, and that was it. He wanted to impress Alejandro, and he wanted to get in Justine's pants. But either way, he tries to plead his case, and she's like, this whole thing was a fucking mistake because Alejandro tells her, look, you you need to celebrate the victories, which is such an asshole thing to do because of what he put her through. But Jonah does tell her, look, look at what we did here. This is not a mistake. But right as he's telling her that I don't know if it's the engine, the front of the plate and just yeah, fucking explodes. The, uh, the, you see, you hear an explosion of a sort, a small explosion, and fire starts to come out of the engine because it's a single engine aircraft. This is a very tiny plane for so many people. Well, you know, you get one seat down each side. I mean, it wasn't, it's what, 10, 12 people? That was it? Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, I, so effectively our main characters then end up imprisoned or, or a group of eight people. But right. there were more of than that to start out with. But um, you start seeing all this chaos going on and and Eli Roth actually put all these people like to make it as realistic as he could he put them all in a drum and spun them around which fuck this shit I'm out but (laughs) yeah I would have no part in that because I would be like Jonah fucking puking all over the place (laughs) which means he puked on everyone else yeah he had whatever Reagan from the exorcist was having that day (laughs) it was weird and green yeah (laughs) 
But they end up having a couple of passengers, including Carlos, fly out of the back of the plane. And you see all the trees and shit coming in through the plane. And then they do eventually crash. Yeah, I thought the practical effects on the one tree, tree limb, or whatever that impales one of the... It's either the pilot or the co-pilot, I don't know. They they don't really specifically state which one's the pilot and which one's the co-pilot, but one of them gets their head... Yeah, completely fucked. They get turned into a Pez Pez dispenser. (laughs) Pez dispenser. (laughs) Yeah, Pez dispenser. Yeah. No, Dad said Pestifa. You know what? <laughs> what? We have gory bits to point these things out. <laughs> yes. I don't exactly. Need your help. Gory bits will tell us where Pestifa. we're fucking up. He will tell us where we go wrong. Yeah. But he turns this person into a human Pez dispenser and the other pilot slash co-pilot, whatever, just is dead. Yeah. But they they you do effectively again, get stopped though. Point being, shout out to the practical effects, because it was pretty good. And and of course we'll go on with that throughout. But um they do effectively get stopped and everybody's kind of taking stock of who's who's alive, who's hurt, and all of that. And at some point they start trying to round up their cell phones. Um, Um, Daniel's trying to find his GPS. They can't find it. And then the plane just explodes. And at that point, Lars is like, so we're fucked, basically. And so the next thing is they hear the river in the background. And he's like, look, if we we follow the river, then eventually we're going to find help. But then we start seeing that there are people, I guess, in the jungle. And Kara, stupidly, (laughs) thinks that it's help. And she starts to go follow them. But as she's doing so, takes an arrow right through the neck everyone else gets like these sleep darts in which i'm sorry (laughs) i'm just a big fucking nerd this made me immediately recall ace ventura Those are the fastest acting sleep darts, <laughs> Three darts I've ever seen. Three darts too much. Three yeah, darts. And then she gets one in the forehead much. that's like as big as my thumb. But every, everybody else gets those. So I, I don't know what the difference was other than the fact that we just don't like Kara because she's a bitch. No, you're right. We don't like her. <laughs> but the next, we cut to black and the next thing we see is the Justine awakening on a boat. And she's been, she's been bound. She's abducted. And to me, this was one of the more scary parts of the movie is that she's kind of looking around and taking stock of her surroundings. She's seeing people running through the jungle. And then she looks, and I don't actually know this character's name. I feel really bad about that. But for everybody who is in the know with the movie, it's the guy who has, who's painted black, but his face is painted yellow. And he has a huge bone through his nose. And that's one of the first things she sees. Now, if that's me, I'm fucking shit myself at this part yeah so i named that guy at the very beginning his name is ramon lao the well he's credited as the bald headhunter mm-hmm. he's he's basically the one that's painted black with a yellow face that's got i just said that nose horns <laughs> Nose horns? I'm just giving you the name. <laughs> when they get off the boat, they are immediately, they're immediately rushed by the tribe. And I just got to say, I absolutely love this visual. I mean, say what you will for some of the camera techniques that Eli Roth used. But the visual of all those red hands surrounding everybody's faces, I thought was completely amazing and terrifying. At the same time, they're like ripping hair out of heads. They're smashing phones. And I then- would go one more and say that Steadicam was used to great effect in Halloween. The shaky cam in this was used also to great effect. I feel like it lent to the uh, The realism. The frenetic 
to the atmosphere, sort of re- the crazy situation that they were in. It feels more realistic, like point it of added view. to it, yeah. rather than taking away. Yeah, exactly. I, I and I have the same opinion. I felt it made it more realistic. It was almost like I'm not trying to sound any kind of a way here, but it felt more like guerrilla filmmaking, in my opinion. A lot of people say that it comes across as amateurish. I am of the opposite opinion, where I feel like that lends more to the authenticness of it. Those are probably the same people that would say Blair Witch is great. It's not Which great. Is the same. It sucks. Excuse me. Excuse oh, you. I love Blair Witch, but I love I love that part of it nonetheless. Um, we also get, I guess we call her the tribeswoman, the main tribe leader, appear all of a sudden, and she starts kind of going through our survivors and taking stock. And she puts the sorting hat on <laughs> each one. Gryffindor. And the and first three reason, end up in Gryffindor. But the and last for whatever one, reason, she seems to almost take special interest in Justine. She's the it's kind of like the creeper and not that we're ever going to glorify those movies because gross but it almost reminds me of that scene in jeepers creepers 2 where the creeper is going through the school bus of children and kind of picking out the ones he likes best and he the ones he likes best he kind of either does certain facial tics or certain things looks a window or whatever um (laughs) where his nose goes off and it's like but she does the same thing when she gets to justine where she kind of gives her a smile that she doesn't give everybody else and then from there they proceed to lock the kids in the pig cages yeah it's it's just a cage Except made out of bamboo or limbs or whatever. Jonah, which we have already briefly touched on. At this point, they give him a special drink. I don't know what it's supposed to be, but they they drug him. It's not a painkiller. <laughs> it's to make it's to make it to where he like gets partially paralyzed or calm um, at any rate. Something. Well, it didn't do either of those functions. And then well, no, and then they bind him to a rock. It's maybe it's a ceremonial. Well, they didn't rock. Bind him. There were a bunch of guys that came up there and held him down. Yeah, yeah. It looked like he was tied down with some rope, though. I could be wrong about that. God damn it. For me, this is the most terrifying scene of the movie. And See, this is the part I was talking about, that they didn't have to show all of it. But goddamn, if Eli Roth was trying to make a statement, he sure as fuck did. Because, again, I did not have to see this. The sound, and, and I actually have this in my likes category for this film. The sound design alone of what they did to him was enough to make my stomach turn. All you're doing is validating my argument. <laughs> <laughs> that you didn't need to see everything. And you really didn't. It could it would have been perfectly fine. The sound was everything. good enough that you could have cut away, shown other reactions, let the audience's imagination done its thing. However, they do some things with the camera here where they almost film it in a first person perspective. Where after she scoops up his eyeballs, it holds the eyeball up to the camera. And then when they cut his tongue out, they hold the tongue up to the camera where it looks like you're first person, first person holding this tongue. And then, of course, she proceeds to eat these things raw. Not before she jiggles it at the camera, though. Yes, that's what I'm talking about. Are they raw and wriggling? <laughs> 
wriggling, but his screaming for fuck's sake. Oh my God. It gets me where I live every fucking time. Like it's so effective to me. Maybe that's not the general consensus for most people watching this movie, but for me as a person, it was highly, highly effective. And then from there, we get his body being dismembered. And okay, something I I will admit found a little far-fetched is the fact that he is still somehow alive going through this ordeal. It wasn't necessarily far-fetched that he was still alive after both of his eyes were scooped out. By I feel like he would have went into shock bone at Bone finger, but I feel like he should have been in shock. Mm-hmm. And then they cut both arms off. He would have bled out really fast. And yeah. then when they started cutting legs off, it would have just gone even faster. I don't... But Joan's continuing to scream through this, which I find like... Even after both arms and legs have been cut off? Yeah. And not cauterized. He would have bled out in seconds, I yeah. would imagine. If any of you out there have are a medical professional, feel free to chime in. <laughs> I was going to say Kent's a med- medical professional, but that's with animals. <laughs> but I feel like Jonah would have bled out in just a few seconds after that. Yeah. That he probably would have gone into shock and then gone unconscious very shortly thereafter. God, that screaming. Like, I cannot get it out of my head. It feels very Day of the Dead. Yeah. We end that with a beheading and then the tribeswoman takes the head, puts the blood into a bowl that she proceeds to drink after that. And, you know, we start having some of the girls getting sick or whatever. And to which I beg the question, why are you fucking watching? Like, I don't feel like if I was watching somebody get dismembered in front of me, I would be openly gawking at it. I would be looking away, probably doing a Steve-O style puking. Why do I have to be Steve-O? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So that was my thing. Perfect call out. <laughs> They do the same thing in Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox where they're, these guys are openly watching these guys get mutilated. Why are you watching this shit? Anyway, after that, we get to them preparing Jonah's meat <laughs> for cooking. They have this big mud oven that they're uh, putting him in. <laughs> To get a little more personal, a little more embarrassing, this actually called back to my childhood a bit. We obviously did not cook human beings. Were you accountable? No, (laughs) but we did raise and slaughter our own animals, pigs, chickens, and whatnot. And I do have, and Robin too, who this episode is dedicated to effectively, we did have memories of sitting and watching and preparing the meat that we were going to eat. Like Robin and I (laughs) would sit in our kitchen with our grandmother clean chickens and help prepare the food out of this. So you understand that that may alienate some of our listeners. <laughs> right? Well, I'm, I'm serious. People, you know what? We grew there up are people poor. out there we grew that up think poor. that chicken nuggets don't come from living animals. I'm not right? kidding. They, yeah, oh, they no, 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 no. really don't know where their food comes from. Yeah, but we grew up poor and we killed and ate what we killed. When I was a kid, I used to watch Grandpa. We'd put cattle in the feed lot and then take them to the slaughterhouse. And we're not saying it's right. We don't condone Just like this, Texas Chainsaw obviously. Massacre. But you you ate what you had to. Absolutely. Um, they do, you know, the, the kids are questioning, why are they doing this? Why are they doing this to us? And Alejandro says, they think we're the enemy. And this is where your light bulb finally went off. Yeah. So the first time I watched this movie, I'm going to go ahead and spoil the ending. Are you ready? Where she basically says that the tribe's people are innocent and that they protected her and all this stuff. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? They ate all your friends. But it took me a minute to kind of put those things together is that 
that if you do a little bit of research, it is, I don't want to say widely held, but there are historical reports of tribes both in South America and Africa and even here in Texas. <laughs> Where there were Native Americans that would eat, as part of a religious ceremony, part of the enemy to either A, defile them, B, as a display of power, or C, to absorb their part power. of their mm -hmm. power. So it's not completely unheard of. And when you go back and look at the fact that Alejandro said, they think we're the enemy, which makes sense because they were wearing They showed the, up wearing the developer the suits. same yellow jumpsuits yeah. that the bad guys were wearing. Mm -hmm. Then I put all those pieces together that these tribes people, and it makes me wonder, like, did they run around painted red all the time? Or was that like, this is our, our war footing makeup, right? Like, maybe they're not red all the time. Maybe they're just painting themselves red when they're at war. And they feel like they are. Of course you would. If somebody's destroying your, your home, well, wouldn't you feel that way? It made more sense to me. And it made the tribes people a lot more sympathetic mm -hmm. in my mind. Agree. These were people who were defending their homeland. And whether you agree with it or not, they were continuing with a custom that was probably passed down where you eat a part or all of your enemy for some purpose. Mm -hmm. And see, when they were like, hey, they think we're the enemy. They would think that you're the enemy because one, they're wearing the jumpsuits, right? And two, the, the construction men or bulldozer guys, whatever you want to call them, they had nothing to lose. But if they continued to do that, the tribe would have lost their homes, lost what they... Believed it. Well, we we do get that payoff here in just a few minutes before a totally, totally unnecessary scene, in my opinion, of Amy basically getting sick. I don't understand why this scene was included. It's one of my cons. It, to me, it takes you out of the film almost. So there are several scenes that I think were intended to be dark humor. And I think maybe they thought this was one of them. This is one of those scenes that I feel like Eli could have left out. But I, I get it that maybe he was trying to bring some there levity some against 17 year old yeah. boys out there that would think it's funny and clearly the tribes people think that her having Montezuma's revenge in the corner of their cage is funny it just didn't work I didn't find it it funny. didn't work at all I, but later that night they're they're basically recounting on how fucked they are no one's coming looking for them except that Alejandro knows something they don't know and takes this time to say look basically everything we did was a PR stunt it didn't change anything. There's going to be another development crew that's going to show up. It well, just slowed them down. It yes, it postponed it. It wasn't necessarily 100% a PR stunt. Alejandro relates it like he's an activist and that's what he wants to do. But in this instance, he was working for another company. Yes, a rival company. In order to get the exposure that he feels like his organization needed. So in a sense, they were using each other, Yes, each to achieve their own means. Yes, they both goals. had a means to an end. He, he was such a piece of shit. He really was. He uh, compromised his morals for likes. But he's saying because they've done this, now they'll get real recognition. Like their stuff from this point will matter, which I don't know that I entirely agree with that. But he also states that you think the plane wasn't sabotaged, but he also, but he does say that eventually, probably three days. Yeah, in three days, the, the other team is going to show up. that was paying him will show up. And at this point, this is where Samantha decides that she's going to start trying to escape. So she starts to climb out at the top of the cage, but is immediately darted in the neck. The next day, we see one of the little tribes girls 
And for the longest time, I actually thought this was a boy until you pointed out that she was wearing a covering on her chest. You know what? We watched a lot of reviews and they all... They all differed. ...call this character, or most of them call this character a boy. But if you really look at the the male and female tribes people, the men don't wear anything above the waist. The female tribes people all wear this kind of a weird crisscross, like, I guess it's a bra mm-hmm. of well, a sort, to cover. Yeah, they do. Not all of them, They really do. do. Unless they're in the preparation hut, yeah. which we'll talk about later, they wear this thing that cross basically covers their breasts. And this little girl, it is a girl, is mm-hmm. wearing that. The little boys do not wear it. So but that was she, something that a lot of reviewers missed. But at any rate, she takes an interest, a personal interest in Justine. She really loves her flute necklace. And Justine kind of befriends the little girl and she starts playing the flute for her and everything, which is like we said at the beginning is why that flute necklace was set up as with such importance. Um, but meanwhile, the other kids are taunting the kids with snakes, which from what I understand was real. They were put real baby pythons in there with them so a little bit of history the the children okay so start at the beginning this tribe had uh, like a supply boat that came once a month other than that they'd never met outsiders they'd never seen television they didn't know what a movie was you know what ice know was what ice cubes were and eli roth brought in generator and a tv and his way to explain to them what a movie was was to show them cannibal holocaust <laughs> what a fucking movie to show to people who've never seen a movie <laughs> and they thought it was pretty damn I'm funny. Yeah. I think I <laughs> personally just, find Cannibal Holocaust to be completely fucking horrific, but that's just me. That would be, it's really cool that, that would worry me a little tribe. bit if you showed Cannibal Holocaust to a group of people that have never seen a movie before yeah. and they think it's funny. I loved it that these were, this was an authentic tribe and not paid actors. They, uh, apparently some people. of the kids, they got really involved with the production and stuff and they were contributing ideas mm-hmm. and. Yeah. One of their ideas was do, the baby pythons. Was that they had found a baby python they wanted to put it in the cage with the actors and actresses and i guess the compromise was they would take some snakes and (laughs) dangle it in front of the actresses faces but what the kids actually did was basically take the snakes and slap the actresses in the face with them and if you look at one of the shots it's a real snake it's got its mouth open you can see the the girl's eyeball but yeah apparently eli thought it was a great idea and just ran with it yeah but i i also love that he did that at the same time involved them and made them part of things yeah yeah i know we could get to it later but apparently after they finished up what a little bit there's not a lot of information on this there wasn't a ton of drama involved with this production Mm -hmm. other than just the harsh conditions that they were filming in but in one source they said that he actually arranged to have a large outdoor kitchen built for them and re-roofed all of their huts Mm -hmm. before they left so cool that's so nice yay <laughs> but the next scene we get to is that i don't know what you call him what his official capacity is the yellow-faced guy he's the head hunter the head hunter That's yes how he's credited. he goes and he takes all the girls basically out of the cage puts them on display for the lead tribes woman and she takes out her large claw finger that was used to gouge out jonas's eyes to sorry london basically check to see if these girls hymens were intact yeah it's like a hollow out horn that she slips on her finger those girls yeah. needed it's probably a, it's so a rough scene for sure antibiotics after this it's 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 horrific like that would have been terrible at any rate uh, it, these girls were violated absolutely um, well justine more 
Well, they were all equally violated. The difference is, is that we found out that Justine was the virgin Correct. amongst the group. They obviously take a special interest in her and carry her away. Samantha, meanwhile, that this is going on, she spots a boat off in the river. While they're doing this, they take the blood that comes from Justine's uh, vagina and mark her forehead with it, given sleepy dust and, like I said, carried away. And then we cut to, it's raining. Samantha is once again trying to escape. She's talking about how she was in track. She can get away. I was and in so, track and I wouldn't be able to run that far. <laughs> well, Travis, when we were watching this, he's like, that's not track running. And I'm like, well, honey, it's rainy and there are puddles everywhere. You have well, to have a long There's drive. a big difference between running track on a track and running in the jungle. Yes, agree. But they do end up distracting with a cell phone. Samantha does manage to make it out of the cage and to the boat that she saw. And she ends up in the boat, but then it just automatically cuts to black. Later on, Justine is returned back to the cage, almost nude practically, and her body is painted, and she has no memory of what was done to her. And they're waiting, you know, they're like, Samantha went to get help, so they're basically waiting. Then they kind of make the realization that Justine is being set up for FGM. Alejandro couldn't care less. He He's like, well, that just buys us more time. The tribe shows up with food to feed everybody and everybody's saying we need to eat to keep your strength up. But Amy's like, but I'm a vegan. <laughs> so Alejandro's like, yeah, but it's just pig scraps, whatever. So they're sitting there eating. And then once Amy gets to the bottom of her bowl, she sees that there's a tattooed piece of flesh, well, which... She sees blood in the bottom of her bowl. Yes. She doesn't see tattooed flesh. Yes, you do once you get to the bottom the of the bowl. The kids are wearing the tattooed Yes, but skin. it does show the tattooed piece at the bottom of the bowl. Okay, I'm, I must have missed that. Yeah, the, it, it does. Yeah. Because she immediately recognizes it and then looks to the children and they're basically using her skin to put on themselves. They're playing dress up with human skin. Yes. They're playing, playing leather face. <laughs> yes. And then Amy, I'm sorry, I don't know what this says about me, but Amy has the immediate reaction that I would have and is like, fuck this shit and breaks the bowl and uses a piece of broken bowl to cut her own throat. It's fucking intense. Like, it was well, rough. I think at this point, as an audience, you kind of realize the people that died in the crash were the lucky ones. Yes, absolutely. I think he, Lars even says that at some point. Like, I wish I had died in that crash. Right. But, speaking of Lars, he decides that it would be a good idea to take this weed that he's had that he gotten from Carlos to shove it down Amy's throat of her dead body because if they cook her body, then reasonably they're going to be stoned and that's going to provide a distraction for them to escape. <laughs> then we get Meanwhile... To... <laughs> get to arguably one of my favorite scenes of the movie and that is sorry london again i have to relieve my stress (laughs) this borat motherfucker (laughs) okay so you have to watch this movie with the subtitles because because tugging intensifies yeah tugging intensifies Because Alejandro decides just out of nowhere to start jerking off. (laughs) Well, he claims that you get too tense in these situations and you need to relax. You have to find a way to relieve your stress. Yes. And so he is in the process of relieving the stress. (laughs) 
And then Daniel While Daniel's choking. Daniel him. goes to choke him because he calls him psychotic. He goes to choke him, and that does not stop Alejandro in the no, slightest. He's, he's dedicated. It's okay, very so. It doesn't say tugging intensifies. It really does. Yes, it no, does. me and no, Dad had the no, subtitles listen, on. It doesn't say tugging intensifies, and still he starts getting choked. <laughs> he starts getting choked, and then it's, you see at the bottom tugging intensifies. <laughs> I'm going to leave out my David Carradine comments. Oh, that's not right. Just move on before it comes out. They do end up putting Amy's body in the oven, and the smoke does cause the tribe to get completely stoned out of their I, I don't know how that tiny bag of weed got... It was a very small bag. And also, it was probably the first time. High. No, 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 no. Because Alejandro was like, you think these people have never smoked weed? They eat pot for breakfast. Apparently, it's not a huge deal. But apparently, it is a big deal, because everybody, like I said, gets really stoned. And, and I actually found, stuff. found this part to be pretty funny, especially with the headhunter. Because he's just fucking freaking out. He's having a moment. If there was a bathtub, he would have been hiding in there. So Justine and Daniel manage to get out of the cage. And Lars is going to follow them. But Alejandro, dickhead that he is, stabs Lars in the leg. And he says a line. Well, he stabs him with one of those darts. Yeah, this asleep dart. So apparently they have multi-use capability. And I can't remember the line exactly, but it's just written really weird. Like I'm not I, dying alone. Yeah, it's something like, I can't stay here alone if it's just me or some shit like that. Yeah, it's very oddly worded. To basically pervert, preserve his own life. And I guess at some point, it doesn't show it, but I guess at some point Lars takes one of the sleepy darts too. Because the next thing we see is him waking up to two tribesmen standing over him, which is fucking terrifying, admittedly. Their haircuts are ter- terrifying. <laughs> Shut up. And he realizes, oh, oh they're God. still they're still stoned. So he's trying to do that bit where you it looks like you're taking your thumb off. And he's laughing and stuff, trying to keep it going. But then they start trying to bite at him. And he it's kind of cringe. It's they eat him alive. They got the munchies. Yeah, he says the line, oh my God, they got the munchies. Yeah, we'll just, they eat him alive. And it's, it's pretty rough. He's like, London, this is one of your favorite parts, right? Because they crowd him and they start eating him alive. And that's not your favorite part. But your favorite part is them running away with the, the little girl running away with the leg i got your hood i got your hood <laughs> she like she's running away from this big crowd of the tribe with the leg wrapped around like it's a football. like i'm keeping this leg for myself it's, and it's like, like mom look what i found it's like she just got the wishbone out of the thanksgiving turkey <laughs> exactly she's so happy <laughs> but justine and daniel managed to make it to the river and they see smoke when they try to get into the river to i guess swim downstream the current catches or it's deeper than they think it is and it catches justine this this is a part where i think the acting could have used some improvement because like daniel sort of waded across justine seriously just jumps in uh-huh she didn't act like she was even trying to get across she just held stuck her hand out and then jumped in the water i was gonna say dude you realize that she nearly fucking drowned from the I scene i do <laughs> but i'm saying that from an acting perspective she didn't even act like she was trying to cross the gap she just jumped in the water to be fair the actress really almost died in the <laughs> sequence yeah that's that's because she almost scary. she those, did almost drown so those screams are authentic yeah, they left part of that in the film. It could have been she just got like a but she does, of undertow. She does manage to catch herself on a rock, in which case Daniel is able to save her and pull her.
bipolar out. Um, and they end up getting back to the plane. And at this point, they see everybody that they were on the plane with impaled on pikes, like yeah. Vlad the Impaler style or right. Cannibal Holocaust style, rather. And Daniel does end up finding his GPS that we've been wanting this whole time, except the battery's fucking dead, which really sucks. So they start trying to look for phones on the other bodies. And the phone that was in Kara's pocket starts going off. Daniel puts Justine on his shoulders to get to the phone. But as they do that, Kara's body falls on top of Justine's body and they the villagers happen across them and find them anyway. So this whole thing has been futile. They end up getting darted. And then the next thing we see is Justine waking back up. This time she is bound and she is being painted. Well, she's getting lathered up with this. Yeah, she's got to get oiled up first. Yeah. And then they're painting her with this white paint while and oh, oh, this just makes me cringe too. Daniel is being beaten with a big stick or well, something. Well, he's using the, the like... Or a bone. The headhunter is using like the jawbone club. Yeah. And I guess it's sharp on one side and blunt on the other side. Mm-hmm. And he's basically breaking Daniel's arms and legs before they smear him with this green, like, wasabi paste. <laughs> wasabi. And... <laughs> And he gets attacked by like, army ants or bullet ants. Something like that. Some kind yeah. of nasty kill you ant. The most vicious ants ever. And this I was heard... the only CG in the movie and I didn't think it was that bad. I, I didn't think, think it got... was bad. That's what I was about to say. It got some critical backlash. But I've I didn't think it was that bad. i CG for sure. Oh, hell yeah. But birdemic, <laughs> right? But about Sharknado. this time, um, Justine is about to be circumcised by the tribeswoman, and I'm, you know, I'm sitting there cringing or whatever. Obviously, I know it's not going to get to this point, but just the very idea is cringe-inducing. But it's just as she's starting to do it, then one of the villagers comes running in, and he apparently the other development team has showed up, and he's carrying the severed head of one of the guys, and so the tribeswoman basically orders everybody to attack, and then. And Justine, who we have seen kind of has a relationship with the little tribes girl, you know, they've had the bit with the flute and whatnot. She she comes and helps Justine escape, basically. And Justine rips out the nose bone of the woman who was painting her, which always kind of gets a laugh out of me because of the sound that the woman makes. Yeah, for me it is. (laughs) (laughs) And Justine makes her way over to Daniel, who is suffering at this point and just begging for death. And he tells her to take his phone and the little girl the, I'm just gonna call her flute girl she comes up and she blows the sleepy dust into Daniel's face and then proceeds to stab him in well, the throat. Well she slits his throat. Um, and then Alejandro who I'm just gonna say in my notes and I'm sorry for who it offends. <laughs> I have him listed as Borat throughout my notes. Good job. <laughs> He starts begging for Justine to help him escape, but she's like, and well-deserved is basically at this point, fuck you, and leaves him behind, and this little girl is helping her escape, um, and she does at some point try to give her flute back to her, and she tells her, no, you keep it, kind of as, as thank you, and Justine ends up effectively making her escape. As she's escaping, she ends up running back into that black jaguar that we saw at the beginning of the movie, but Justine is so fucking over this shit at the point that she gives no fucks about the jaguar and just kind of easily goes past it well at this point you know the villagers are going to eat you while you're still alive at the very least dismember you while you're still alive mm-hmm. the jaguar is the going to kill you first so i, I take the cat easily. if i'm in her yeah. position i take the cat but she ends up going into the war zone that is happening between the tribe and the developers she gets i guess in a quick jump scare gets grabbed by the headhunter but he's shot it, it's it's pretty quick in order to not be killed 
startled. She automatically starts screaming, you know, don't shoot. She's holding up Daniel's phone. phone. camera. Yeah. Phone, camera, internet, United Nations. Basically the same thing they were doing at the protest at the beginning. They end up, she she smashes the phone. I, I didn't understand what the purpose was of well, I that. I think it was sort of a, supposed to be a compromise. Yeah. I'm going to smash the phone. You get me the heck out of here. Yeah. And they end up apprehending her and putting her on, on a helicopter as the villagers are kind of hanging back like, all right, let's let back the fuck off and go back home. And then they ask her, is there anyone else or is there anyone else who survived? And she's like, no, nobody. It's just me. We see back at the village that Alejandro sees the helicopter and he's screaming for them, but he ends up getting darted in the, I guess, I forget if it's the neck or whatever. And then we cut to her being debriefed by the UN and they're asking her what all she went through, what happened. And she's saying, and I'm sorry, I know it's an homage. I, I, I don't consider it a ripoff, but this definitely calls back to Cannibal Ferox, where at the end where that character of that movie is being awarded because of the time that she spent in the village saying cannibalism doesn't exist. Justine basically does the same thing. Like, I never experienced any cannibalism. I never experienced any hostility. I was never afraid once the whole entire time I was there. They saved my life. Yeah, she says that they were the only reason that she survived. And that the developers were to blame. I I never felt any fear until the developers showed up. You have to question is, does she say that because she acknowledges that the tribes people were just defending their homes? Or did she say that because of the little girl that helped her get away. But then we cut to what looks like her back at school. Life is continuing as usual. And then Alejandro shows up. And of course, we're all collectively going, oh, fuck, what's going to happen? Until Justine turns to him and she has this mouthful of weird razor sharp teeth and then bites him in the neck. And we see that that's a nightmare. It's basically a recall back to the first or second scene, rather, of the movie where her she's in a room with her roommate once again. And then we hear protesters. She goes back to the window to see the protesters and this time they're all sitting like uh, I think the protest this time is free Samara and they're all wearing these shirts that featured the face of Alejandro are they freeing her from the well <laughs> I knew you were gonna do that because if that's the case <laughs> they need to stop no keep her in the well we don't want her leave her there <laughs> and we cut to black where the credits roll but we are quote treated to a mid credit scene where Justine gets a phone call from <laughs> I was to say Borat's sister and she's saying that she has a satellite photo of Alejandro now this threw me a little bit because the footage that we see looks like Alejandro obviously but he's like black from the neck down so it almost looks like a wetsuit but at the same time is he painted like the headhunter which does that deem the question is he now no is he the leader of this tribe now no like he was the last one alive so they make him the leader no but it's like is he now in a position where he legitimately has to fight for the cause that he claimed to be advocating for in the first exactly exactly so yeah i don't know again i don't think it was necessary i I mean apparently they were gonna set up a a green hostel a sequel (laughs) green and a green inferno 2 i i don't know i would have i think i kind of actually would have liked to have seen that but However, that's where the movie effectively ends. So let's start with London for a change. London, what, what did you like about the Green Inferno? I liked the amount of gore. Um, <laughs> of 
course, that's what I'm going to start with. I also really like the fact that they put, like, a real tribe in there because I feel like that was actually a really nice thing to do. And the fact that they left a kitchen there to, like, I don't know, make people... They did some nice things for the tribe. Yes, they did nice things. They used it. They used a real tribe to make it more authentic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, what did you not like about this film? Do you have any complaints about it? I think it, they took too long to start it. Okay. A slow burn. Not yeah. everybody likes a slow burn. I get and that. And they included too many things that didn't have to be in there. Agree. It was a nice touch, but they didn't need to be in there. Okay. So, Travis, what did you like about this film? Because I know oh. it's not one of your favorites. No. No, it's not. <laughs> That's a fair assessment. Um, what did I like about it? The cinematography was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was it was good for the setting that it was in. Even the shaky cam, I, I think it added to the scene rather than taking away. I think that their choice of location was great. It was a beautiful location. I think the story was good, but it, that's pretty much where I stop. I need to move into the shit I don't like now. Okay, dislikes. Um, I feel like there was a lot of fluff in there. I don't feel like we needed to spend as much time with them on the way to the Amazon. Um, Like the whole sitting in the bougie restaurant scene, I don't feel like that added anything to it other than to say that this guy's a pothead. Like that was the whole purpose of that scene. I've got bug spray. Yeah. And I brought bug spray. Well, fucking good for you, Jonah. You're prepared. (laughs) It's got deet though. Aren't you a model damn boy scout? (laughs) You're going to get eaten first. Congratulations. (laughs) Um... I feel like an hour and 40 minutes was long. Mm -hmm. It was long for this movie. Mm -hmm. I feel like the subject matter was good. I think that somebody needed to tackle it. I think that he did a decent job calling out the the scars people, right? Mm-hmm. To quote mm-hmm. South Park. Because I think there's a lot of people out there like that. They jump on it because it's the popular thing that's trending on whatever social media platform that they're on. And they just jump on it. Whether they, they don't even know shit about it. It's like the Occupy Wall Street. There were people jumping on that. They didn't have a first clue what that was even about. But, you know, they jumped on it and then shamed everyone who did not immediately like or retweet or I don't I know social media. I familiar so. with the Occupy Wall Street thing. I was familiar with the Coney thing, though. See, I didn't know anything about the Coney thing, but I feel like calling them out was a good thing. If it had been slightly more blatant, I would have been okay with that, honestly. I think he did a good job of portraying the American privilege. You know, he mm-hmm. had a bunch of American college students that whether they were rich, poor, or whatever, they automatically just assumed that they were going to be okay going down there, mm-hmm. even though it's like, you're, you're not here anymore. The rules are yeah, different. Yeah, something I didn't think about, and he he did brought it, bring up, was this was actually part of a travel trilogy. Yeah. Uh, so, the first movie... Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever. Which I wouldn't Hostel, have taken as that. And, well, Hostel 1 and 2 basically is one movie, mm-hmm. sort of. And then this one, we're supposed to be the, uh, what do you call it, Travel and Punishment series? I mean, it's not going to stop me from traveling, but, you know, go No, it's not going to stop me either. (laughs) But I guess that's really it. I mean, I kind of covered everything that I disliked already. So, So I think it's still a watch. Oh, absolutely. So, for me, what I liked about it, like you, I did enjoy the camera work and cinematography. I know that there's some debate in that, but we've already talked about it. I felt like that added to its authenticity. Um, I enjoyed the practical effects by Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero. Greg Nicotero always does the best shit. I mean, he's had a career this long for a fucking reason. Um, Again, the sound design was impeccable. It was stomach churning, just, you know. Um, I did like the story. 
I thought that the story was engaging enough. I also loved it in its brutality and its grisliness. And then of course it's a gorehound's dream. I did appreciate the message like you just touched on. And while not all of it landed, I did enjoy some of the dark humor that was in it. Um, now moving on to dislikes. It's obvious that some of the acting was kind of shit. <laughs> terrible. Yeah. Some of it was terrible. Um, and again, there were unnecessary scenes, the pooping scene, the archetypes that were set up. And I feel like a lot of the film was telegraphed. I feel like we were set up from the beginning knowing scenes that were going to happen before they happened, like the FGM, the ants, and the, the fact that we knew that Justine was going to be set up from the beginning, I felt like. There was some cringy dialogue, we, like we touched at at the very beginning. It's very of its time, I will say that. And again, I feel like it's a mean-spirited movie. I also feel like the tone is uneven, where again, you do have scenes that are horrific, but then immediately after you follow with something humorous. So I felt like that was a little all over the place. And then and then the same thing that you just touched on about the weekend viral warriors, basically. But with all that being said, I love the fuck out of this movie. I think it's fun. I think it's a great time. And the cannibals subgenre is not an easy subgenre to love. I know that there are people out there that really love it. It's not my favorite subgenre. They're they're really really tough watches. I am not entirely versed in the cannibal subgenre. I feel like the ones that are important I did see, such as Holocaust and Ferox. I know there are people out there that have said that Eli Roth straight ripped off of those films, but I think what Ruggiero Diodato did and what Umberto Lenzi did, I feel like he was paying more homage to them than what Rob Zombie did with blatantly ripping off Texas Chainsaw Massacre with House of Thousand Corpses. To me, there's a huge difference because I don't feel like he was straight ripping off things so much as just kind of peppering similar scenes throughout. Would you would you agree with that? Because you because you have also seen both of those films. Now. Yeah, I would agree that Roth did a much better job because you can look at it and see, okay, he is showing some love for the movies mm-hmm. that came before mm-hmm. without being a completely blatant ripoff of them. The fact that House of a Thousand Corpses was supposed to be an homage to Texas Chainsaw Massacre had to be pointed out to me because he didn't do a good enough job of relating that for me to pick it out on my own. Really? There's scenes that are straight lifted out of there. It's a straight shit movie. (laughs) Sorry. But there are things that Roth did leave out of this movie that were appreciated to me. Well, he left out the rape. Yes. And the animal cruelty. Yes. And the on-screen genital mutilation. Like, there was a lot of the straight-up brutal, probably illegal things that were in the first two movies <laughs> that he left out, and I am grateful for that. Yes. So that, while this film is still pretty grisly, it did feel tamer in comparison to those. People that have never seen the other two that watch this movie are going to think, oh my god, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Watch this, then go back and watch Cannibal Holocaust and Cannibal Ferox, and come back to the green inferno and you will really see how much tamer it is than its predecessors yes yeah absolutely and and also neither of those films that preceded it had even an ounce of humor
humor in them no. at all. And which one was it? Deodato did almost went to prison. Yeah, because mm-hmm. they thought he had actually when he went to trial. They thought he had actually killed the cast of his movie. Like it was that graphic yeah. for, for the time period. Yeah, I don't know. It wouldn't go that way now. I can't. But... I can't speak for sure, but I don't know that those are films we would ever cover in the future. Just because it's hard to talk through some of those things, such as the rape and the animal cruelty. I is a big lover of animals it's hard it's a hard fucking watch it really is i i have no interest in talking through how they mutilate cut parts off of a live animal it's so sad it's so fucking it. sad so like we, i we probably won't that's kind of in the same category as what is it the uh, serbian film yeah it's just we're probably just not ever going to go there so same, yeah i sorry to this point it's probably not on the menu yeah haha <laughs> 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 see what you did there <laughs> at any rate um we realized that this episode did get long-winded we apologize for no, that you got long-winded um but we did want to be thorough, you know, we, it, handing out these Easter eggs. We want to give these, give our friends what we feel that they deserve. And again, my sister really fucking loves this movie. But we want to thank everybody that has been loyal to us. And who knows, maybe next year when we do this or, you know, in the future, it could be you, you know, and it's a fun thing that we like to do. So or not, it might not be you. <laughs> it's totally random. <laughs> So, yes, Robin is my little sister, but she has been a very loyal listener, very avid supportive supporter of us. And this was my way of telling her, thank you. We see you. And on that note, next week, we are going to effectively wrap up our extravaganza, quote, unquote. Yeah, then we're going to start summer yeah. after that. It's going to be time for summer camp. Yes, we're going to have a whole summer camp theme that starts in May. I'm excited about it. So am I. I'm like, I'm legit ready for this. I am not excited about the next <laughs> should do movie. sleepaway camp. We are going to do sleepaway camp, as a matter of fact. Yay. However, let's go ahead and announce our final Easter egg of the month. That is going to go to, again, best friend, avid listener, loyal follower, my best friend Mary. And for her, we are going to cover Pet Cemetery, The original, let's get that clear, not the remake, because she is a huge Stephen King fan. She's a huge Pet Cemetery fan. So we're going to close out the month with that final thank you. We love you. Thank you for being with us. And yeah, I believe next week we're going to start with Sleepaway Camp. London, as a matter of fact, is sitting here wearing a Camp Arawak shirt. My Camp Arawak shirt. No, what she doesn't know is I'm going to steal all of her clothes. But thank you guys for being here. We we wouldn't be here without you. Thank you for putting up with us. I know we fucking say this every week. And we're going to keep saying it every week. So deal with it. I don't want to deal with it. Keep saying what? Thank you. And we will see you next week. London, you want to tell everybody goodbye and thank you for listening to you? Bye. Thank you. I think we've been recording for like three hours now. <laughs> We love you guys. We'll see you next week. Take care. Bye. Hey guys, quick reminder to find us on social media. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram as SpookyMom83 and Travis on Twitter as TravisL80. And find our official page on Instagram and Twitter at Dead and Married. If you have any questions or suggestions for films or otherwise, Feel free to email us at deadandmarried at yahoo.com. Later.